You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hey. Yeah, today we are going to talk about the SECURE Act 2.0. And the reason it's a 2.0 is because there was a SECURE Act before and this is kind of an update to that. It was included in a big federal spending bill at the end of December, um, and it's kind of an update to existing retirement plan laws and things like that. And there are a few things in there that are pretty interesting and could be really beneficial to people who are saving for retirement right now, and even people who are already retired. So we wanted to go through a few highlights. Um, This is not intended to be comprehensive. There's a lot in it, like a lot, a lot. But we wanted to touch on a few things that we thought could be relevant for our listeners. We want to give you a little bit of background first. Um, The first original SECURE Act was passed in 2019 by Congress and signed into law by President Donald Trump. And it changed a few rules regarding required minimum distributions, which is distributions that you generally have to take on retirement accounts when you're retired at a certain age. Um, It also changed a few things about like 529 plans where you could use a little bit of the money for student loan repayment and things like that. But the the second version of this seems to have quite a bit more that's changing. So we're going to go through some of those features. Um, It's really important to note then when we're talking about a brand new law, especially one that's kind of changing tax law, is that we sometimes need some extra guidance from Congress or the IRS before we're really clear on how these things will work in practice. I think that's very true for some of the pieces of of this new act as well. So this will be evolving over time. And you'll see it like its effects in your own life may be fairly slow as well, especially if your employer has to implement some of these changes. Like they can't necessarily do it overnight, so it might take a little while. So Corey, any other color to add to that intro area? No. No? Let's talk about it then. Covered it all, yeah. And like Rochelle said, this is going to be a very brief summary. I think the actual act itself is like over a thousand pages long and has a zillion different sections and articles and definitely if you have trouble falling asleep at night go find a copy of it and that could you could start reading it and that'll uh, put you to sleep right away i'm sure um but i I think there's a lot of things that that can benefit uh our listeners specifically um which is the the big ones we're going to cover here so you know and and we kind of broke it down into sections so we'll start with the the typical um, retirement plans like your 401k, 403b type accounts. And one for anyone here that's a business owner or if you have your own practice and you don't have a retirement plan established yet, um, they're actually offering a credit for 100% of the startup costs of establishing a 401k for small businesses uh, with under 50 employees. And you know there are some administrative costs associated with operating and running 401k plans um you know for for and there's going to be some additional costs just to get it up and running because there's some uh legwork uh that's required 
for the third party administrator, the advising company, et cetera, to kind of get things off the ground. But, you know, I, I would say on the low end, it probably costs at least a few thousand dollars to establish a 401k, if not, you know, five to 10,000 to get it, you know, up and running. So uh, having a credit um, to, to recoup those costs is big for people that, that maybe are, that want to start a plan, but don't want to, you know, incur that additional expense. Yeah, definitely. So pay attention to that one if you want to set up a, a 401k for your own practice or if you really want your employer to set one up for like a small practice and they haven't done it yet, you know, make the point that it's free right now to do that. Like they can do that and offset those upfront costs at least. Um, the other another one was that uh, there's some changes to eligibility rules at the beginning of employment. So sometimes there's a, a waiting period when you're starting at a new job before you can enroll in a 401k or a 403b. Um, it is now set so that after one year of full-time work and a thousand hours of working or two years of part-time work, which equates to 500 hours or more per year, um, then you can, you, you have to be able to enroll in your plan basically. And you, you may have to wait for the next open enrollment period. It may not be like exactly one year from the date of when you started working, but if you are working part-time with an employer, that window is a little bit shorter. And that's just designed to allow more people to be able to save for retirement. That specific provision doesn't start until 2025. Some of the ones that impact employers a little bit more are going to take a little bit longer to implement because the government understands it may take a little while to make these changes to plans. So basically, if you own your own practice and you have a retirement plan, your all your employees and part-time employees, uh, you know, unless they're like super part-time, you know, ten hours a week or less, um, like everyone's going to be eligible for the retirement plan, you know, pretty quickly, you know, within a year or two. Um, so that wasn't the case before. You know, it used to be a thousand hours was the threshold. If if you had people working less than a thousand hours, which equates to like twenty hours a week of of work. Um, you know, then, then you could exclude them from the plan. But now, you know, pretty much anyone that's working for you uh, after a couple of years will be eligible and you'll have to include them in the retirement plan and include them in any matching contributions and profit sharing contributions as well. Yep. There's also like one other startup thing where there's an auto enrollment feature that the IRS is now requiring employers implement. So starting in 2025, you have to auto enroll your employees in at least a 3% contribution and do at least a 1% per year auto increase. And participants can opt out. So your employees are not required to save, but you are required to do that as a default for them. And that's another thing where it doesn't start until 2025, just another way that they're trying to encourage more people to save for retirement. And I'm a big fan of this one because this will get a a lot of Americans who aren't contributing to their workplace retirement plans up and running. I think there's been zillions of studies done on this subject, and the conclusion is people are lazy. And if you can remove any uh, steps of action that they have to take, you know, it, it, it's it, for plans that have auto enrollment, it's something like, you know, upwards of 70% of the people participate in the 401k where plans where you have to proactively enroll yourself. It's like less than a third of people participate at large companies. So That's yeah, huge. this is big. 
Um, it's going to get more people, especially more, you know, middle income, lower income people saving a little bit for retirement and automatically increasing their savings rate as time goes on. They'll be able to participate in any company matching as well. So I think this is a big one for, you know, the, the majority of Americans out there that, uh, that have a 401k available, but just aren't participating in it at work. Let's see. Speaking of employer matching, um, employers can now start making uh, the match as a Roth op, uh, contribution uh, in addition to pre-tax. So the default, any employer contributions are pre-tax, so it's a tax deduction to the business, but taxable um, to the employees in retirement when they pull the money out. Now the employer could start making that as a Roth instead, and I believe um, if the employer elects to make Roth matching contributions, the employee receiving it has to pay taxes on whatever that amount is. So like if they get $5,000 throughout the year of matching contributions, that 5000 would be reported on their W-2 as taxable income, uh, but that would enable them to then receive all that money in retirement plus investment earnings tax-free. Um, not sure how many employers will actually do this, um, and, but, you know, it's a neat feature that, that is available now. Right. And I bet it'll be one of those things where when it is implemented, it'll be a choice that the employee gets to make. Like, do you want to, to have this contributed as pre-tax amount or a Roth amount? Or basically, are you willing to pay taxes on this right now? Um, so, again, that, I think that's when we're, we're – Yeah. Yeah, that's probably one where we'll see, like, when people start rolling it out, exactly what it looks like. Um, one other thing is that employers can now match what people are paying towards your, your student loans, like do a match on that into a retirement plan. So I know some people have made the choice where they don't necessarily want to contribute to retirement until their student loans are gone. Um, and if you make that choice, we don't want to miss out on any matching dollars that could have been going into a retirement plan. So they're now allowing you know, employers to make a, an exception there. And even if you're not contributing to the retirement plan, if you're putting money towards your student loans, they can match that dollar amount. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's tax deductible to the business. So I think that's a neat little feature there. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you with simple IRAs, uh, starting in 2024, the, the match for simples, um, you know, currently the, the typical one is a 3% match. Now it's up to 10% of compensation or $5,000 uh, indexed to inflation, whichever is less. So, you know, for higher income earners, it'd be capped at that $5,000 mark. But if you have someone that's making, you know, 35000 a year, they could potentially get, you know, a $3,500 match. Um, so it's still, again, haven't read through the fine print on all of these sections, but uh, basically it sounds like simple IRA participants could potentially get a little bit more money starting next year. Um, so curious to see how that gets rolled out. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently now you can bribe employees to save for retirement. So you can offer small incentives like a gift card or something like that to, to get people to save more. Um, I didn't know that that was not allowed before, but apparently it wasn't. Not Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of a funny one. That's now in law. You can do that. It's allowed. Um, it's also easier to withdraw small amounts from your qualified accounts without penalty. So normally, if you take out money before age 59 and a half, you're probably going to be paying some taxes plus like a 10% penalty tax. There's like really limited exceptions. 
but they broaden those exceptions. So it could just be like I have an emergency at home and I have a big repair at home and I need to take out a little bit of money to do extra. It's pretty limited dollar amount. It's only $1,000 right now if it's just like a typical emergency. And then the other thing is that you can potentially take out up to $2,500 per year with penalty-free to pay long-term care insurance premiums. So I think the, the government is pushing towards more preparedness for later in life, just you know having those extra costs, which is very common and very expensive. Um, that one's not starting until 2026, but just one more thing to be thinking about, especially as you age, like is this something that's appropriate for me? You know, can I pay for it out of pocket? Do I need to tap into my retirement plan? Ideally, we're not doing that. But if you really have to, there's a way to do that without penalty. And for most of you guys listening here, I would probably discourage you from taking money out of your retirement plans to pay for your long-term care insurance. I mean, if we can't afford a $2,500 a year premium um, in our mid to late career, you know, we're probably, you know, we need to take a look in the mirror of what we're doing wrong here. Um, but for, you know, your typical American that, you know, the average American can't come up with an extra $400 if they had to. Um, but they might have money in their retirement plans that from employer contributions or that they've been saving over the years. So this could be really helpful for them, for your, you know, your middle-class people to be able to afford long-term care insurance. And they're the ones who need it the most, arguably, um, cause you know, they may not have the huge retirement nest egg to self-insure. Um, but still, you know, something, uh, that, that could be a, an option for you if you want to you know, pay for long-term care insurance from your retirement money. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's and then see. there are, yeah, go ahead, Corey. Oh, for, for older savers. So right now, if you're age 50 or older, um, you, you can save extra into retirement. Uh, the limit is currently $7,500 per year on top of the standard contribution limit, which in 2023 is 22500 So if you're under age 50, you can contribute 22500 from your salary to a 401k as an employee. If you're age 50 and up, you can contribute 30000 in total to your 401k. So they give you a little perk there. Now, if you're age 60 to 63, and I don't know what happens after 63, maybe it goes back down, but from 60 to 63, you can actually contribute the greater of $10,000 of catch-up contributions or... 150% of the current catch-up limit. So right now, 150% of 7,500 is less than 10,000. So um, you know, ten, you could, if you're 60 to 63, you can contribute uh, 32,500 this year um, to your your retirement plan instead of the the typical 30,000 for age 50 and up. So that's a neat one, you know, for for older savers being able to save uh, quite a uh, quite a bit more. Um, and they've also done something similar with IRA contributions. Instead of just having it as a set dollar amount moving forward, it's going to be indexed to inflation. So right now the catch-up contribution is a thousand bucks. They're going to index that to inflation moving forward. So we'll probably see. I don't know if they have a minimum increment, but um, you know they currently do IRA and 401k contributions in $500 increments. So you know it might be every few years you see a $500 bump in what you can do there, but time will tell. Yep, absolutely. The one other thing is that um, with catch-up contributions, for any of those catch-up contributions where you're age 50 plus, 
they now must be Roth contributions for any high earners. And right now, the in the the Secure Act 2.0, it defined high earners as anyone making like $145,000 or so more or more than that. And that's going to be indexed for inflation. So that'll go up a little bit every year. But chances are like a lot of folks listening, if you're making catch-up contributions, they will have to be on a Roth basis starting in 2024. Um, that'll be interesting because not every employer offers Roth contributions right now. So we'll see how that affects employer plans and if they have to make that available for their employees. So it, it, I mean, that'll be really interesting to see how that actually evolves. But the the goal seems to be that the IRS doesn't want to necessarily not collect um, revenue on that income. So they're not allowing people to make pre-tax contributions um, if they're earning that much or those after-tax ones. Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing a lot of this, a lot, some of these start in 2024, um, like with the auto enrollment and the matching is raw. Like I'm guessing they're going to try and standardize it to where all plans, it's either you can do pre-tax and or Roth um, and, and try and make it easier for the employers. So it's, you know, literally just a, a box you check or, or what the payroll system you know, if your earnings are over 145, it automatically makes the catch up as a Roth contribution. Because if they put the onus on the employees to remember all this stuff, it, it, or the employers for that matter, it, it, there's going to be a lot of screw up. So there's probably going to be some standardized, hopefully automated protocol here to make it easy for everyone and leave it up to the accountants to figure it out behind the scenes from a tax standpoint. Yep, someone's going to have to figure it out, that's for sure. <laughs> yep, there are a few updates for folks who are self-employed, or um, I think one that's actually really relevant for people who are starting a practice or starting locums or starting 1099 work. A lot of times we've had people set up SEP IRAs if we're like past the calendar year, because, you know, if we set up a SEP IRA right now, for example, you could make contributions for 2022 still. If we set up a solo 401k right now, we can't make contributions for 2022. Like there, there's just a difference in rules for those two accounts, even though they're very similar. So starting this year, you can set up a solo 401k anytime before the tax filing deadline, just like you can with a SEP IRA, and you can still make contributions for that prior year up until the tax filing deadline. So it's giving people a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more time to be able to set up those things and set aside some extra money for retirement. And that's for the 2023 tax year. So tax if you set year. one up now, yeah. you still yeah, you still can't do 2022 contributions to a solo 401k unless the plan was already set up before um, 2023. But yeah, you could, you know, up until... You know, April of 2024, you could set up that solo 401k and fund it for 2023, um, which just makes it easier for people. I mean, I don't know why there was a difference there. It's kind of silly, but um, but yeah, good to allow people with that self-employed income to save for retirement. And the the SEP is is still a little simpler, easier, more straightforward. Um, but for most of you, the SEP screws up the ability to do a backdoor Roth IRA. Um, kind of the only reason you do the SEP is if it's last minute, just trying to get that contribution in and you've already missed the cutoff for solo 401ks. But now since that cutoff is the same, there's really not much of a reason to do a, uh, a SEP 
unless I guess you're under the income threshold for Roth IRA eligibility. But, um, but yeah, those solo 401ks are uh, enable you to actually save more money if you're self-employed. Uh, you know, if you're at a, a kind of a lower threshold of income. You know, once you're above, um, you know, call it two to three hundred thousand, then you know you're going to max either one out. But if you're trying to put as much as possible, you can get a little bit more into the solo 401k. Uh, because it's a combination of the salary deferral and the employer contribution where you're both the employer and the employee. Um, whereas with the SEP, it's it's only the employer contribution, which is a percentage of income. Uh, so, you know, if you're, you're not earning quite as much, it's going to be a smaller amount than you could do with that solo 401k. But we have a whole nother episode, I think, on solo 401ks and self-employed retirement. So go listen to that one if you need more intro or if what I or if what I just described is making your head spin yeah I, I think the other thing that they kind of adapted a little bit with self-employed folks is that now you can actually make Roth contributions into the SEP IRA or simple IRA so if you do have a SEP IRA set up if you make Roth contributions that doesn't negate your ability to do a backdoor Roth which is great um, and then the other thing is that if if I think this is applicable for a lot of people who work multiple jobs. Like if your primary job is W-2 and you have some 1099 income but not a lot and you know you can put away your employee deferral limit into your W-2 jobs 401k, you get some matching dollars there, that's all great. It could be really reasonable to do a SEP IRA because you know it's not as much that you're going to put into that account as well, especially if you can make Roth contributions now. So there's a lot of flexibility that they're they're now allowing. So it could be, you know, you get a good chunk into your 401k or your W-2 job, you get your matching dollars, you put some extra money aside from your locums or 1099 income into a SEP IRA and potentially do that on a Roth basis. Yeah, the SEP is definitely uh, easier and, you know, with 401ks, once you have over 250000 in them, you have to file an additional form with the IRS each year. Um you know, so if we if we like that Roth money, uh, tax free in retirement, um, the SEP could be a good way to go for you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I think See, there's for, a few. Yeah, go ahead, Corey. For retirees, a um, few changes that are, are beneficial. Uh, so required minimum distributions. If you're unaware, um, once you get to a certain age, the IRS requires you to take money out of your retirement plan and pay taxes on it because they want their tax dollars. Got to pay for all the government spending somehow. Um, so a few years ago, once you turned 70 and a half years old, you had to start taking money out. Secure Act 1.0 changed that to age 72. Secure Act 2.0 changed that to age 73. So this year, um, you know, people age 73 and up are, are now required to take RMDs. So uh, you know, people younger than 73 don't have to, which is nice. I actually have a client who um, we were planning to take RMDs this year because she's going to turn 72. Well, got another year before we have to start pulling money out of the retirement plan. And then that age changes in 2033 to age 75 and i wasn't i don't know if you know the answer to this rochelle but is it just 73 for the next decade and then in 10 years it goes to 75 or is there like a step up you know so it'll be 74 at some point i wasn't sure on that one i'm not positive but i think it's the the first where you know it's just a 73 75 but 
that would be something. So for most of you listening, you won't have to take RMDs from your retirement plan until you're 75. And who knows, they might change it further and be even older by that, by the time we get to that point. But so selfishly, uh, you know, for savers and, and um, it's, you know, it's a beneficial thing because you can let your money compound and grow even longer without being forced to, to take that money out. Absolutely. And it's nice, like, even if you do have to take some out to not be forced to take a specific dollar amount out, you know, just to have some flexibility, which is great. Um, the other big change with, well, there's a couple other changes with RMDs, but one of them is that the penalty for not taking your RMD used to be 50% of what you were supposed to take out, which is a lot. So if you were supposed to take out $50,000 from your retirement account, and there's like a specific calculation that the IRS uses to determine this, but let's say it was $50,000. The penalty for not taking out that $50,000 was that you owed the IRS $25,000, which is a big chunk of money. So always take your RMDs, right? So they changed it so that the the RMD penalty for not taking it out is now 25% instead of 50%. Still not great. If you don't take out your $50,000, you owe $12,500 to the IRS, but at least less than it used to be. Not great still. Please take your RMDs. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. If you're going to the, working with an advisor, they should be on top of it for you. But like for those do-it-yourselfers, um, I imagine there's some people out there that don't even know that they were supposed to take money out of retirement plans and have just been flying under the radar with the IRS, haven't been audited yet. So yeah, make sure you're, uh, you're taking your required minimum distributions out uh, by December 31st each year. And your, whatever custodian you have your money at, they should like tell you on the website, this is the RMD amount you have to take. Um, if not, there's plenty of easy online calculators where you just punch in the account balance from December 31st of the prior year, and it'll tell you based on your age how much you need to take out. Um, speaking of RMDs, they uh, uh, it's only pre-tax retirement accounts that have RMDs. So Roth IRAs, you don't have to take RMDs from. Um, however, Previously, you, you had to take RMDs from Roth 401k balances. So any Roth money in a 401k was included in the RMD calculation. That is no longer the case. So your Roth 401k money um, can, can continue to grow, and you don't have to take the money out of that ever if you don't want to. You can just keep it and pass it on to heirs. Um, in reality, uh, the only reason why you'd still have money in that 401k is if you've are still working past the age of 73 or 75 and 10 years from now because in reality once you stop working you're probably just going to roll that Roth 401k into a Roth IRA uh, when you're retired because it's you know easier to manage and take distributions from um, now inherited Roth IRAs do have RMDs so any any accounts that you inherit from like your parents or grandparents or something or if you pass something on to your kids um, you're required to deplete the account balance from those IRA inherited accounts within 10 years of, of the date of death. So, and that's for pre-tax or Roth. Um, so yeah, something to be mindful of. If you inherit an account, you gotta pull that money out over the course of a decade. It could be all at once, wait till the year 10 or spread it out. doesn't matter. Just the balance needs to be zero by year 10. So that hasn't changed. 
Well, I guess that was a change with Secure Act 1.0. So yeah, yeah. How the how are you? Yeah, how long you have to take money out of the inherited IRAs? Definitely. Yeah. So I think one other thing that's not retirement accounts, but cool as well is I think one of the big concerns when people are saving for college when they're using 529 plans is what if I save too much you know if I put too much money in this account for my kids and I want them to have that money like I want that to be for them I don't want to switch it to another beneficiary like it used to be that if you had to take money out for something other than educational expenses you paid taxes on the growth plus a penalty tax not awesome so with Secure Act, the first one, the original one in 2019, they did allow you to use up to $10,000 from a 529 plan to pay back student loans, which, like, why I didn't use the money first, but whatever. <laughs> um, the new law, Secure Act 2.0, is actually allowing 529 plan beneficiaries to use up to $35,000 of unused funds from their 529 plan to make your Roth contributions or Roth IRA contributions. But the plan has to have been established for at least 15 years. So let's say, you know, you set up a 529 plan for your little one, they're three years old, they get to 18, they start using money for college, they get scholarships, they're super smart, they don't need all the money you saved for them, and now, you know, we're ending up with $20,000 left over in the 529 plan. Each year, they can use funds from the 529 to make their Roth IRA contributions instead of pulling that from cash, and then they can do something else with that money, hopefully something responsible, something that makes us proud. But <laughs> we'll see how this kind of evolves over time. Um, it's pretty clear what the law is intended to do. But I have some clients who ask me, hey, like, should I set up a 529 account now in my own name for the benefit of kids I don't have yet? And I've generally discouraged people from doing that because like, what if you don't have kids? Then what do you do with this money? But if you can potentially hold on to it for 15 years and then start making your Roth contributions out of that account, like that seems pretty cool. So this is one where we ourselves definitely want some more clarification on, you know, are there age limits? Can you do this for yourself? Like what, you know, what different options do we have here? So stay tuned on that one. But yeah, it is nice to, you know, not essentially be penalized for oversaving for college and, and allow you to jumpstart the Roth IRA for your kiddos. Um, they can still use that money. Let's see, a um, couple other items that were just interesting. There's now a, a going, well, starting in 2025, it's going to hopefully, we'll get it figured out over the next couple of years, but supposedly there's going to be a national database for lost retirement accounts. You know, there's, I think, something like over a trillion dollars of estimated money in retirement accounts that people have just lost track of. They worked at a job, they have a few thousand bucks in a 401k, totally forgot about it. They've moved, they've changed their name from getting married, you know, the employer can't get a hold of them, they send mail, it gets returned, so like no one, and, and there's just, the money's essentially lost. Um, so supposedly there's, right now there's, I think, state databases where you can like search at the state level for missing accounts, lost account holders, but now it'll make it easier as a national database. Not sure how they're going to do it, but that's supposedly what's on the horizon. And then if you have a nanny, you can now provide a SEP IRA for your nanny and save a little bit for your nanny's retirement, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think, you know, this honestly, overall, there's a lot of good things in this that are going to help people save and help people save more and help people have more choices regarding like, am I doing pre-tax? Am I doing Roth? All of that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think it'll remain to be seen how it affects everyone. It it has to do a lot with how quickly and how efficiently employers can implement some of these things. But if anyone has any questions about how this affects them or anything like that, always feel free to send us an email. You know, send us a chat message on social media, wherever you can find us. But we're happy to answer questions if you have them. Yeah. No, I think I'll, I haven't really heard any negative commentary about this stuff seems like all the response is positive like you know a lot of the changes are beneficial you know selfishly for us like down the road we can you know save more for retirement leave it in the account longer same for you guys you know i think there definitely are a lot of benefits makes it more flexible and easier for retirement savers to start saving and and essentially forces some people to start saving for retirement that otherwise wouldn't be um yeah i think it you know, like a lot of these things, it benefits, um, you know, for better or worse, the higher income earners because you can save more for retirement and leave it in the account longer. Um, you know, but the, uh, you know, for the lower income earners, the auto enrollment's good. Um, you know, the more flexible on the Roth options as well. But, uh, but yeah, I think uh, good things all around to come from Secure Act 2.0 to help you with your retirement savings. Yep, save more. That's, I guess, our hashtag, right? (laughs) Hashtag save more. There we go. I like it. All right. Talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance, or on Instagram, Vanderzanen Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanen. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC. 